Welcome back to Sew, Organize, Style podcast. I'm Maria Theohiris, or Velo Sews. Today we're going to hear from Nikki Malalu. Sew, Organize, Style podcast acknowledges traditional owners of country throughout Australia and recognises the continuing connection to lands, waters and community. We pay our respects to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and to the Elders past, present and emerging. A big sponsor shout out goes to our two podcast friends and sponsors. The Australian Sewing Guild, who has been our Monday Daily Series regular, is now a sponsor of Sew Organised Style podcast. Go to ozsew.org to check out the online workshops, sew-alongs, skills library and more. Our second sponsor is Tatiana's School of Couture as she launches it online. Go to her website to see her new online sewing classes and patterns. If you've been sewing for a while, you may know Nikki as the designer behind You Sew Girl Patterns. Nikki is a Melbourne local and her design strength has taken her career through many chapters. In this podcast, Nikki has kindly agreed to talk to us on So Organised Style Podcast about her design journey. Let's welcome Nikki to So Organised Style Podcast. Do you want to start by giving a bit of a background as to how you started in the craft sphere? I have always made things. I, I have very early memories of watching my eldest sister. I'm one of eight kids, one of the younger ones. I remember watching my teenage sister sewing when I was a very little kid, when I was about three, and thinking, I reckon I could have a go at that. I was watching the way a sewing machine worked and I sussed it out over her shoulder. I remember the moment it all clicked. I had been sewing things like paper bags with um, bits of wool and, and bobby pin hairpins and things like that, sewing them, wrapping bits of fabric around my dolls and, and stitching you know, needles and threads and things. And, okay. Uh, eventually, I, I just used to nag my sister to sit, her on, sit me on her knee and she pretty much taught me to sew. I learned to sew before I learned to read and write. And she left home. She went off to uni when I was starting school. So she taught me to use the sewing machine on my own because every time she came home on a weekend, I'd nag her again. So she went, you can use the pedal, just do it. And that's it. I, from, from the age of five or six, I was using a sewing machine by myself. I was looking at old Christ books and looking at the way patterns worked. And it was the 70s and it was a time of handcrafts. You know, there were a lot of handcrafts being made and you know, people were doing things. There was lots of macrame and crochet. And my mum encouraged it. She bought lots of those golden hands books. and I remember those. Yeah, they were a big part of the 70s. And I had uh, any craft materials that were necessary were somehow supplied. And we didn't have a lot of money. And I think sometimes it was... People were giving their old scraps or my sister handed on a lot of her scraps to me. My mum would go and buy things for us to try. I mean, hobby techs was a big thing as well. Yes, I remember that too. So we had all the hobby techs. I don't know, you know. My mum just prioritised allowing us to be as creative as we wanted to be. So if we showed an interest in something artistic or, or crafty, we would be given the opportunity to do it. And I remember people coming to our house and, and our house was sort of like a kids craft and art museum and people would always say oh your children are so creative Joan and she was like well because I let them you know 
I just mess up the house as long as you cleaned up the mess you're allowed to do what you like so yeah it was just this grounding I just never thought anything different of it it's the way you do things you you make things and you put them out there you put them in the local agricultural show craft competitions you put them in and yes my I was always encouraged to put my work out there in the public sphere so I never grew up with that fear of doing that but I, I see in people now it's just oh my god you're so brave to put your work out there it's like oh I've just always done that. So at the time when your mum was encouraging you all to put your craft works out there to be judged, was that to encourage you to be more creative or to be competitive? I think it was about confidence rather than competition. It was that why why wouldn't we feel that our work was good enough? There was never a sense of you've got to win or you're better than other people or anything like that. There was, it was never any of that competition. It was very much, you've done some really good work. You should show people. Great. You should, it's as good as anything. So put it, you know, put it out there. Why wouldn't you? I think that's what has given me the grounding in my ability to put my work out there. I mean, I still have, you know, I always have imposter syndrome. I always have, you know, somebody is going to call the emperor's got new clothes, but it doesn't stop me from from doing it because I go, well, there's lots of other emperors out there as well. Exactly. You know, brought up. It's just like we're all we're all making stuff, we're all doing stuff, and put it out there, show people, and connect. Yeah, be a, be a part of things. Yep, be a part of things. Be and show your edge or your take on your patterns. And that is really reflected in the hat patterns, the bags, you know, the clothing, even the notions that you've. Yeah, I used to sell a lot of a lot of bits and pieces. Yeah, I, I came sort of a long way back to to putting sewing patterns out. So I, I was a crafty kid. I wanted to be a fashion designer, and all my teen years, I I was making all my own clothes from when I was twelve and um, draping them on my own body, or sort of making sort of patterns, a bit Enid Gildchrist, a little bit of draping, a little, Aww. you know. And I made my own stuff from when I was twelve. I remember opening my wardrobe when I was fourteen years old and thinking, I've made every single bit of clothing in here. So all I wanted to do was RMIT fashion. I wanted to go to, which was the prestigious fashion course at the time that I still is pretty prestigious. That I Yes. Had my sight set on from the from year seven of you know when I first went to high school I found out that there was this course and I was going to do it so I did that and I was trained to be a fashion designer pattern maker and uh, went out into the fashion industry and didn't really like it very much. Oh, that's disappointing. <laughs> yeah. I didn't like the industry. Industry. I ended up working with small, the small end of things. So I didn't like. I worked in mass manufacture for a while, and I really didn't like it. So I ended up working with small designers uh, here and in England, and that I did enjoy. You know, working in very small business where I could be a bit of a jack of all trades. So I did design. I did pattern making. Sometimes I was pattern making, cutting. I liaised with machinists, and uh, often was even involved in retail and fittings and things like that as well so you know I got a really good grounding in doing a whole lot of you know the business end but little bits of everything and got a good sense of, of small enterprise as well so I ended up doing my own thing for about five years doing hats and, and bags and then joined up with a, a leather craftsperson and uh, ran off to Ireland and made leather handbags. Leather, I love working with leather, yeah. And 
I also made hats on the side and around that time I was, I was just making my own clothes. I wasn't doing clothes commercially. I was doing hats and hats. And yeah, there were lots of things. Life, life's a funny old thing. I ended up coming back to Australia and going, okay, I think I've done enough making, but all the way through whenever I'd, I'd been, you know, training employees or even just showing friends how to use the internet in early days, people would say, you're a really good teacher. You're a great teacher. And I, I just thought, oh, I could possibly teach. I'm sick of making and putting more stuff out in the world. I've got these skills. I know how to make just about anything. Um, <laughs> I, and I can teach. I came back to Australia in 2002 just thinking, I want to make kits and write books and I don't know quite how to start, but I just started teaching, teaching in higher ed and in, I was teaching in TAFE, I was teaching in short courses and I remember somebody, I was teaching bag making and somebody coming in with a, just a bad, badly put together pattern that they, they just said, you could do a better job of this. And I thought, you know, I could, I know I could and I should. And one day I just, I was riding, I I used to ride my bike to teach in this evening class in bag making. And for those who were in Melbourne, I was living in Clifton Hill and riding to Paran. It's about 40 minutes. And I I remember just riding along going, I think I've I've got to just do something. I I had also been making hats and bags and furnishings and things and they were in shops. And I sort of had my fingers in lots of pies at that point. I'd just back from overseas trying to find my feet. And I'd... I'd been making, I remember I was making seven hats before I went to work. And I thought, no, if I'm going to do this kit thing, I've got to stop doing everything else because there's no time to put into this kit thing. And I I put the seven hats down, got on my bike, rode to work. And I I was thinking, so yeah, I could do this. And I got home from work that night and I wrote who, what, when, how, and why on a Word document and filled it out. You know, who are my customers? What am I making? You know, why? What makes me different? What 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 can I bring to it? You know, and sort of fill that up. And I kind of kept going till about four in the morning. Who says I'm obsessive? But um, (laughs) in the end of it, I had a business plan, and I thought, no, I can do this. But I've got to actually stop doing everything else. And I I mean, I've still kept up. I stopped making. I stopped. I I was still at that point making hats and bags and. I've got to just focus on the teaching aspect. So my gifts here are, are supposed to be about teaching and the patterns that I wanted to produce would were the key component was that they would be like a class, like a sewing class in a packet. Okay. Because I saw there was a need at that time. It was 2002. I could just see that there was this burgeoning new thing with with a different demographic sewing so it was getting beyond the big four sewing patterns there was this little there were not many independent craft patterns there were no independent garment patterns that I could see there was very few there were a couple of people doing bag patterns but they were very quilty you know and I thought no urban sewing younger yes that's there's a demographic there that's just starting out because I was seeing them coming into my classes but they didn't know how to sew. They'd missed it. They were often the the children of feminists who thought women shouldn't be taught to sew because we don't need to anymore. That was that was a story I heard a lot. Or the daughters of women who could sew. They the the kids had never grown up doing it because their mums always did it for them. That's right. So there was this thing of they wanted. They didn't know the basics. And I I realised I had to infuse my sewing patterns with those basic techniques and also to bring to the sewing realm, the home sewing realm, the tips and tricks that I'd learned through industrial practice, Mm. the things that make things a bit sharper, the things that make things a bit quicker. 
And so I decided that what I could do is, is make this sewing class in a packet where I show tips and tricks to do that faster and better and get a better finish. And yeah, so I wound the whole idea around that. And, you know, when first few, uh, first range of patterns that I had, I tested the sewing instructions on my students on a weekly basis. I was teaching bag making at, at a couple of different institutions and I would come in with instructions and go, you know, can you follow that? Can you follow that? And they were, they were good for a while. I could see what made sense and what didn't and where they needed extra information. It was absolutely invaluable. Then I did a gig for eight weeks with a high school. And so I dumbed down a year nine students. So I dumbed the instructions down another notch to the high school students, but I took them back to my adult learners and went, do you feel patronised being instructed like this? And they were like, no, this is great. We haven't got a single question on this. And I went, okay, that's where I'm going. Okay. So that's basically, sorry, that was a very long, long way of saying uh, that's how I got started doing my own patterns. <laughs> Um, just wind me up I keep talking (laughs) now that you've given us how you started what do you do to ignite your creativity I see inspiration everywhere I just have an eye for for shape and texture I'm a pattern making geek I, I love an interesting way of putting things together I like I like the process of, of pulling an idea apart and thinking, how do I make it? It's the way I see the world. How do we? How do you make that? I also love the interplay between, in that student-teacher relationship, there's a, there's a huge exchange of, of inspiration and information. And I think I've learned as much from teaching as I've given out. That, you know, you're, you're exposed as a teacher to you know a huge range of skills levels so i i'm often i'm learning things from because i i come from an industrial sewing background i've learned from dressmakers home dressmaking techniques who knew i was self-taught until i was taught to be a fashion designer i've learned from dressmakers i've learned from filters things that because that isn't my sphere but there's techniques and tips and gadgets exactly there's all of that. So that actually makes me think about the ways that I can put things together in a learning context, like to inspire my teaching. In terms of creativity, so what I do with sewing patterns is I try I try to keep things, the actual designs are not what it's about. The designs are actually pretty simple. It's about the learning that goes in behind it. But as far as my own personal practice, what I make for myself, I'm very inspired by fairly creative inventive sewing techniques and pattern pattern making techniques more than anything I love uh, there's some very good fashion designers who do extraordinary things and there are some very good teachers like Shingo Sato and Julian Roberts and a few people who are just a little bit outside the square on uh, pattern magic those books yes. all of that stuff that really sort of outside the bounds sorry I'm, I'm using my hands and this is a podcast <laughs> outside the box <laughs> I should just say I speak with my hands even more than I speak with my mouth. I mean, it's it's really clear that while you have been trained in industry, you've had your eyes open to other possibilities. So there's not just one way of doing things. You've picked up different techniques, different yeah. styles to come up with what it is that you do. And it's really reflected in the patterns that you've actually put out there in the past. 
that people still mm. go to. Yeah, you know, I haven't actually put a new pattern out for about six mm -hmm. years. I've, I've been teaching in higher education. Yeah, just life events happened, you know, family stuff, health stuff. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it's interesting, yeah, my patterns, I'm still selling them, seeing like yeah. they're on Etsy at the moment. I just see the, the, the money coming, and it's not coming in in huge amounts, but it's, <laughs> they're, 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 I'm not rolling in it from my patterns anymore, but they're still selling in quite large quantities. And it's, I'm amazed. And that A-line skirt pattern, I don't know what magic pixie dust I sprinkled on that one, but it's, I, I'm waiting for saturation point where every sewer in the world's got that pattern I was just looking at that pattern and I thought oh that's really nice and I love a-line but yeah you're right there's some sort of pixie dust that you've gone to put on that pattern <laughs> that, you know still makes me think oh that's really cool well I I made the pattern originally for myself because I wanted a good basic skirt yeah. that for myself I'll get a pattern to fit me and then I'll keep tweaking it and making it do lots mm -hmm. of different things like what I did with my book the savvy seamstress which is to take a single pattern and know the techniques to alter say that you know to turn a, a zip um, a zip back into a button front or vice yeah. versa or mm -hmm. take a facing off or whatever that's the way I make my own clothes so I, I just wanted a basic skirt pattern to be able to do that and my friend Lara who I do believe you have had on yes yeah Lara is very popular yeah well Lara popped into my studio one day and she just said oh can I can I have a tracing of that skirt pattern because she's the same size at that point and she made it and blogged it and all these people were like well where's that where's that pattern so I thought well I'd better put it out and for some reason it took me about two years I was doing lots of bag and purse patterns at the time and when I finally put it out there was a big craft show at you know one of those quilt and craft shows so it was the launch of the pattern well we sold out of that first print run before that show was finished it was just I was just oh my goodness and then you know did another print run and it sold out again I went oh I should have maybe have done this two years ago when Lara you know suggested it <laughs> you know you got there yeah yeah but I think you know that was that was a long time ago and it's still selling uh it's because it is a good basic you know you could... it is you've talked about that you're teaching mm. are you doing any classes online at the moment I haven't got anything new I did do a series with creative bug in the states a few years ago and they're still up there but yeah those those bag making I think there's no point in me doing any more bag making online I think the combination of my book the better bag maker when I did that I said I don't need to do another bag pattern yeah. unfortunately I did actually write six other projects for that book that were cut before the first edit but because the bag was too long but that's pretty much got almost everything that you need to know the combination of that and the if you want to see those things in action the creative bug classes I do pattern making for bags on that and I do there's several projects for bags that cover a whole lot of techniques that's with those ones I haven't done any dress making uh, I don't have time to do that at the moment <laughs> <Doesn't sound like laughs> I am teaching in a few design colleges now so I'm very busy just with the transition to online yes. teaching for my yes. day job I used to have I mean my, my sewing pattern business was my full-time job I had business premises and staff and you know I had the online shop and I was flying around the world not around well, I was around the world actually I did go to the states and uh, I was flying around Australia teaching a lot but yeah family things mean that I can't do that so I changed to just wholesale, mm -hmm. moved the home to a home office. I have a couple of temporary, like casual staff that do a few things with admin that I'm not good at. 
but I haven't actually had the desire to push in that direction anymore. A few years ago, I, I'm not sure if you're aware, I, I, two years, this time two years ago, I was in the depths of chemo and there's nothing quite like a brush with cancer to, to redirect yeah. and to, to let go of things that don't matter anymore. Okay. That was one of the things that I came out, I just went, actually, I've, I've got other things I need to focus on. And I teach within my day job, I teach, I still sell the sewing patterns, but what I'm doing now is I'm trying to get a not-for-profit business off the ground. Okay. I've been organising sewing workshops that I've been organising, have been running, getting volunteers together to sew hats for people undergoing medical treatment that's causing hair loss. So that, that in, that's chemo, but it, it's, it can be broader than that as well. Mm-hmm. And providing styling sessions and free hats to people who uh, have lost their hair. Mm-hmm. It's working with different cancer centres or just individuals. So people have seen what I've been doing on Instagram and have just contacted me. They've said, you know, my sister's going through chemo, my mum's going through chemo, or I'm going through chemo. Can I? They always say, can I buy a hat from you? I was like, well, no, you can't buy a hat from me. I can give you hats. And so that is where my energy has been. I've been developing that. So I'm working towards getting it established as a not-for-profit. Right but I am trying to work at the social enterprise element of, and this is where I will get back to sewing patterns, of creating sewing patterns mm. for hats, mm. and that the sale of those will fund the getting the hats to people. There will be other aspects of it that won't generate enough income to, to pay for the hats because I need bigger volumes. There will be also, you know, the fact that people can buy a virtual hat for for somebody or a styling session or something to put money back into the the enterprise to provide the free services to people so it's almost like paying it forward or buying it forward or buying the styling forward to someone who really needs it that's wonderful yeah i don't want people who are undergoing treatment have got enough bad stuff going on <laughs> they often also have a hit to their income. I yes. even when I was in treatment, I wasn't able to work, and a lot of people have to cut back their hours. I, I was sick the whole time. I, I got infections because of chemo. I couldn't actually physically leave the house most of the time. And I know that that's the case for a lot of people. So you know, so to have something just nice happen in a day, something yeah. gives you something, makes a big difference. But um, also, yeah, just not having the money to spend and chemo hats to get anything stylish. You're looking at sixty, eighty, a hundred and twenty bucks for a hat. Yes, if you're in treatment. For for three or six months, you you're without hair for six to twelve months, and you need more than one hat. So I'm trying to just make something stylish and giving people that sense of you know agency over something that has otherwise been taken away from them. You know that control and um, being able to, to to take control of your styling is, is a really important part. Of feeling good. From your experience and from what I've heard from people who've gone through, you don't even have the energy to get on with your day. You might not even be able to get off the couch. So for mm. someone who's going through it and then having to look at oh, a pattern oh, and the fabric and the time, but not for profit that you're looking at, it would just mm. be wonderful to be given a gift of a hat or two that would just lift their spirits. Even if they can't yeah. get out of the house, it would just make them mm. feel better. Like yeah, a little bit yeah. better is 
uh, on the road to recovery would be great. Absolutely. And, and the other part of it is that the people who are around the person who's in treatment are often feeling very powerless to help. And by yes. giving somebody, so a lot of the, the requests I get, and I haven't actually finished the sewing patterns for the hats yet because I haven't, and you know, I haven't put the, the business end. I, I'm still working, I'm working with uh, experts on, <laughs> on not profits. So it hasn't been established yet with the, to monetize it, but I get a lot of people wanting to buy the sewing pattern from around the world because they feel powerless, but by being able to make hats for somebody that they love, mm-hmm. they feel that they're able to do something in a, in a situation where otherwise they would be feeling very lost and powerless. So that's a good thing. A lot of the people who have come to my workshops in Melbourne where we've been making hats that have been going out to people the last year are people who are like that. They've been touched by cancer in one way or another. They're often people who have had loved ones go through cancer treatment or have travelled that path themselves and feel that they want to give something back. And other people are just really good people who see that there's a cause here that they could contribute to and, and come along. But it's a double, well, I think it is, it's sort of serving two, two purposes. It's, it it's helping the people who are going through it and the people who are unable to help the people who are going through it in any other way that they feel that they can. Yeah, it is. No, that's wonderful. Um, that's sorry, I always give you very long answers. <laughs> that's why I'm not doing dressmaking <laughs> things online at the moment or any I you know yeah because that's where my energy is and it's wonderful that you put your energy into that not-for-profit and hopefully it gets started you know you've got the right people giving you the advice the people who want to help you know the loved ones who have, are going through it it's just wonderful yeah. well, I'm working with Swinburne University who have a center for social impact within the business school at Swinburne oh. so uh, they have a lovely little hub there which is all around social enterprise and they're studying social enterprise so I put my hand up to be one of their guinea pigs which means that I am being researched <laughs> but also I'm given a lot of fantastic support and advice on the methods and the, the best structures and you know, the whole legal business yes. it isn't my strength in that area I'm good at small enterprise I'm not You'll have to keep us updated and you know, it'd be really good to help with your launch. Yeah, well, I've, uh, I am yet to rebrand. I have a, another brand name which hasn't, is in development in, in terms of a graphic image, but I've got my Instagram that I've started is Chemo Style Hats. Uh, that will change its name, but that's where it's starting at the moment is, and I've also got it through, I have been putting things through on my personal Insta as well watch that space yeah watch this space watch a lot of spaces right (laughs) yeah it's uh it will grow to a bigger space than other spaces okay Um, the last question i've got and this is totally away from hats but it's mm. definitely spot on for what you've been doing all of your life so when you look at your wardrobe what's Mm. your favorite garment yeah look i've still held on to a lot of things that I made a long time ago and I have a piece still in my wardrobe that I was part of my final range at RMIT and that was in 1989 so quite a while ago and it's a very sculptural red velvet high so I'm waving my hands around again (laughs) very high away from the body uh it was made in, in in the 80s and I I was very influenced by um 
designers like Vivian Westwood and Claude Montana and people in the 80s who were quite sculptural. So it's a piece like that. And I still occasionally drag it out and wear it to an evening event. So that's that's my sort of like my sentimental favourite. But my most worn things yes, are a, um, a fleece hoodie. <laughs> And at the moment, some tracky pants, since I don't have to go to work to work, I've been living in tracky pants that I made. But yeah, there's a fleece hoodie that I made. I bought the fabric, I remember I bought it in London in the year 2000 or 2001. And it is the garment I put on when I get home, sort of, you know, or when I get up in the morning or any time, just that comfy, bumpy around the house thing and I think that is the garment I have worn more than any other garment in my life because <laughs> it's been worn, worn any time the temperature dips below 18 degrees for the last few years. <laughs> that has to be the most grounded response. <laughs> <laughs> um, nothing is not grounded. It's, oh yeah. That's it's just the truth. I'm sorry, I'm very honest. I should say, I you know, and wax lyrical about some, you know, fancy thing I've made, but honest in all honesty, um, yeah, a fleece hoodie. Nikki, how do you embrace change or make the changes to your career or life? I, a few years ago, it was just as I was coming out of cancer treatment, actually, I... I had to, well, I didn't have to. I was very lucky to be invited to speak at the Dig Gallery in Melbourne. They had a, a creative women series of, of speakers and they asked me to do it. And I spent about a week preparing my talk and my slideshow because I, I just thought, well, how do I tell my story? It's... <laughs> Because I, 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 I was just out of cancer treatment. I thought, well, I'm not even really doing very much. I'd just gone back to deep my day job, but I hadn't. But I'd already started this idea with the hats, and I've also been working on a, an embroidery project just for my own art practice as well. And uh, I started a series of self portraits in machine embroidery when I was in treatment. And uh, I had just sort of started playing around with those sort of things. I thought, but I'm not really. What do I talk about? And Within the Dulded Gallery is owned by a family and, and who had escaped Europe during the war and they had, as practising artists, managed to raise a family and live a life and do lots of things and do what they could and still maintain their art practice and they, they taught and they did. And I thought, you know, there's a story in there and um, Slava, the woman, the mother of, of the family, the woman who was the artist who taught and did... And, she was so adaptable and I thought that's the inspiration for my talk that's going to anchor my yes. talk because I'm like that <laughs> you know yeah. I have always made my living from my creativity and a lot of it's been through self-employment and I you know I, I can see opportunities and I can see where there are dead ends for me. And sometimes I'll keep pushing up against that dead end for a bit too long and I'll go, no, nah, it's not working anymore. It's time for a change. And what I noticed in writing my story, I noticed that I get to a point where I'm doing something and I'm loving it and then I go, oh, but I want to do that too and I'll bring something else in or I'll bring something else in or then something will come in and take away one element and I'm still trying to do parts of it and I'm juggling things and then I think, hang on, my hands are too full here. What is it that I have to let go of? 
and what is it that I have to follow on with? And there's always some one of those balls tells me which direction to go. And I realise this is the thing. I get to a point where, you know, one of those balls that I'm ha holding tells me this is what I want to go forward with. And, at, you know, so I did that when I was young and I went to England and then when I came home and then I did something else and then, you know, I was making hats and bags and I went back to Ireland and, I, and the same thing. So there's this, like, there's always a tipping point where I get to a thing where I'm going, it's not fitting together. This isn't, I, the, I find myself having these eureka moments of, I just want to make hats. I remember that when I stopped doing all the fashion stuff, I just went, I just want to make hats. And I went, oh, I should just do that then. <laughs> um, and then I want to go yeah anyway so this tipping point this chaos thing happens and I found when I was doing this talk at the Daltic Gallery I said I've been working with lots of different things you know and I was you know teaching blah blah and then cancer came along and then this idea of the hat uh, yeah I started using my creativity there uh, just for myself and then it twigged something and then I started I felt the need and the words in my head were, I need to stitch this out. I needed to create my own art therapy. And so I started doing these self-portraits in stitch throughout treatment. And both of those things were kind of like, ah, that's actually where my, my, my brain's going. I, I'm still working. And I still do love teaching design. I've gone more into teaching a lot more about design fundamentals and design thinking and a lot more history, which is another geeky passion of mine, um, history of design and, and social cultural context of, of design. So kind of they're the things that are taking my interest, which is not to say that I won't come back to dressmaking and you know, they're still a part of my life, <laughs> my life in a you know I'll still make my own clothes um but yeah I've I I just found that the, the, it just was this, this this is chaos stage there's always a stage of chaos and chaos is okay I've learned to embrace it because there is there's always a light bulb moment it'll come it, it's like something will click into place where one day I will think, think, okay, this is the direction I need to go in and and I'll go in it. It really does sound like change is something that you are really good at. I know. I, I actually have this reverberating voice in my head. My friend Jess in England years ago, so, you know, 30 years ago, just went, oh, Nikki, you thrive on chaos. And I've realised I do because I'm very good in a crisis because it clarifies what's important you know the chaff and the wheat that sort of thing happens uh, I'm a great troubleshooter I've, I can think yeah I can can fly by the seat of my pants um can think on my feet all of those cliches but I yeah I, I think I don't handle the everyday routines and tedium as well as I do you know the adrenaline rush of oh my god, all of this could fall apart at any minute. Um, I don't know why. Business I'm like as that. usual can be boring sometimes. <laughs> I, yeah, I think it, the way that I quilt. See, I, I never used to be a quilter, but I I, I like. 
quilting I've discovered only since I, tr- I thought I would teach myself. So I got a book on quilt blocks, tried doing it and going, oh, my God, this is tedious. Until I started, I, I set myself the challenge if I bought a jelly roll and a quilt, I think a quilt blocks, and I was using the pieces. And I was like, oh, God, this is tedious. You mean I've got to do this 50 times to make a quilt? Anyway, and then I started running out of the jelly roll. I started cutting the bits up and sticking them together to make up the components of the quilt blocks. And then I was still trying to get a good colour balance within it. And yes. it was a puzzle. And I went, ah, now I like it, now. So then I sewed all these little tiny bits together, chopped them up and then, okay, I've got to make the next layer. And I started with pink, brights, pinks and yellows. I went, okay, I'm going to get this back to a chocolate brown base. I'm going to float some bits in a chocolate brown, but they're really bright. Now, how am I going to do that? And each layer was another layer of the puzzle. And I never knew if it was going to work. And I think that sums up my, <laughs> my, my attitude completely. I have to be flying by the seat of my pants or I lose interest. Nikki's design passion has led her through many phases of her career. She has demonstrated her ability to keep loving her design pattern even though life throws challenges in her path. So Organised Style Podcast is produced by me, Maria Theharis, with permission of Nikki, sound by bensound.com. You can subscribe to So Organised Style Podcast, spelt with an S, not a Z, on Apple iTunes, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, CastBox and Libsyn, our podcast distributor. Post any questions or podcast suggestions you have on our podcast Instagram account or on our Facebook page. We look forward to joining you in your sewing room next time. Stay safe everyone.